Well, for four broadcasts now and this fifth broadcast, we've been talking about the question of fear. And we've been looking at a passage in 1 Peter 3. Let me read once again those two verses to you. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation, and do not be troubled. Now, we have spent a good bit of time talking about verse 13 and its implications up until now, in which the Apostle Peter makes it very plain to us that whether we are uh, partners in marriage with an unbeliever, or whether we as Christians are partners at work, or whether it's a matter of dealing with a neighbor or whoever, that in general, it is true that the Christian faith, when properly lived before unbelievers, brings a peaceful relationship with them. As a matter of fact, uh, we are told in the Scriptures to pursue peace with all men. And we're told, for instance, in Romans, uh, a very vital passage, in Romans 12, uh, verse 18, uh, we are commanded this, if possible, and of course it isn't always possible, and Peter in verse 14 of chapter 3 is going to make that clear too, but if possible, so far as it depends on you, and you see uh, there our responsibility ends with what we can do about the problem. We can't change other people or their attitudes or how they respond to what we do or say or how they respond to the gospel, <clears throat> but we certainly are responsible for what we do, what our side of the relationship to others is. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. So our job is not to criticize others. Our job is not to spend our time talking about how bad the unbeliever is. Our job is not supposed to, uh, is not uh, sitting down to straighten out his living. But our job is to get our lives in order. Our job is to get ourselves in relationship to that unbeliever in the way that we should. And if we focus and concentrate on being what God wants us to be and become obedient people doing what God tells us to do, then we will find that fear does not come into the picture. We'll be too busy doing the good thing and responding to wrongdoing righteously to spend any time being afraid. And in, in general, people don't harm you for doing what is good, proving zealous for what is good. And you see, there's a tremendous difference between zeal for what is good and uh, grudgingly or reluctantly doing what is good. You see, it, it's one thing to have the kind of attitude uh, in which you say, oh, well, I have to live with this unbelieving husband. I have to live with this unbelieving partner at business. I have to live with this unbelieving neighbor, and I guess I'll have to put up with it, and I'll try to live a Christian life in front of them, and, and to have a kind of disgusted, uh, half-hearted attitude about it all because it has to be done, but I don't see what use there is for it. There's one thing about uh, uh, that attitude, and another thing about saying, I'm going to love my God and serve my God and please my God no matter what the circumstances are and prove zealous for what is good. And along with that, to be able to say, not as the prime goal, the prime goal must always be to honor and please and glorify God, but along with it to say, and I'm anxious to demonstrate before that unbelieving partner. I'm anxious to show what this Christian faith is all about, proving zealous for what is good. 
I wonder how many of you Christian wives out there with unsaved husbands are zealous, really zealous in that relationship to show what Christianity is all about. I don't mean in such a way that you nag and preach at that husband. That's exactly what Peter says not to do in verse 1. He says that they may be one without a word. That's not without the scriptures, but that's without your words of preaching or nagging by the behavior of their wives. The zeal here is to prove zealous for doing what is good, for living the way you ought to live, you see, before uh, those unbelieving husbands or business partners or neighbors or whoever it may be, people at school. I wonder how many of you are zealous for your faith in those situations. It's easy for zeal to flag. But when you're zealous for what is good, when you're consumed, when you're eaten up by this great goal, and you remember when Jesus went into the, the uh, temple and drove out those money changers, what it said about him? He, it said the zeal, the zealousness, the zeal of his father's house had eaten him up. His zeal, his concern, his all-consuming passion for the holiness of that place where God dwelt and where where uh, he was to be worshipped, his, his all-consuming desire to see that place honor God was what ate him up. It, 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 to eat some, something up means to swallow it whole, to, to not leave a bit of it. In other words, uh, when it says it ate him up, it consumed him. It, it, it completely dominated him so that he just couldn't restrain himself from getting in there and driving out those money changers who had turned the house of God into a, a den or a nest of thieves. Well, now, you ought to be zealous. It ought to eat you up. It ought to be an all-consuming passion of yours to do the good things that God wants you to do as a Christian man or a Christian woman in that situation, whatever it is, where there might be persecution or where unbelievers might tend to ostracize. And when you are eaten up with that kind of zeal for honoring God's name, it's going to make a difference. There will be few people who will harm you if you really prove zealous for what is good. If you flag in it, if you talk a lot about your Christian faith and do little about it, that's not proving zealous. Now let's go on to verse 14. Peter, just as Paul in, in Romans 12, 18, uh, recognizes that this is not always true. There are exceptions to the rule. He says, even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. Notice he talks about suffering for the sake of righteousness, not suffering because of your own nastiness, not suffering because of your own lousy attitude, not suffering because of your own sin, not suffering because of the way that you have treated others and you're only getting back your just desserts, but rather suffering because you believe in Jesus Christ and others do not, and they recognize that and they see your good behavior, not your nagging words or your nasty attitude, but they really see honest to goodness uh, the fruit of the Spirit in your life manifested, and they don't like it. Just as when they persecuted Christ, seeing the work of the Spirit in his life, and they didn't like it. It's that that Peter's talking about. When your life really manifests Christ, and because the light of your life is so brilliant and so shining that it exposes in contrast the sin of their lives, they don't like it, and they want to put that light out. Remember, the Scripture says the light shines in darkness, and the darkness did not... Uh, like it. It was not able to, to overcome it, but it didn't like it. And men loved darkness rather than light. And so men wanted to put the light out. They tried to turn off the light of Jesus Christ as his, his life shone like a brilliant light into their own lives, exposing their sin and the darkness within them. Well, often that'll bring suffering and persecution to a Christian 
when his life really shines brightly and the contrast is seen at work. If a man, for example, goes in and he gives a full eight hours work, whereas somebody else gives six hours worth of work and lolls around, the others don't like that. They don't like the contrast because it shows that he can produce more in those eight hours than they. And so what they're going to do is to try to turn that light out, get rid of him, slander him, gossip him uh, against him, do something to get rid of that kind of behavior. All right, that's what Peter's talking about. When they intimidate you, when they try to get you to go along, when they try to keep you from doing the righteous thing, when they bring warning or suggestion or they bring threats into your life, what does Peter say to do? Do not fear. Do not be troubled. Leave this matter in the hands of a righteous God who judges righteously. Remember 2 Peter 2, verse 23. Lord, help us to follow that admonition, to entrust ourselves continually, as Jesus Christ did through the cross and through the grave, to the victory of the resurrection, into the hands of our God who trusts who, who, in whom we may trust and who judges all things righteously. We pray in your name. Amen.